Welcome to the lowest energy episode of Green and Lewis. How can I help you? Yeah, I'm feeling real tired already. Yeah. It's like, you know, clammy. Well, clammy it, in October? Mm. Eh, that happens sometimes. I mean, you never know with Halloween. Halloween can either be 70 or it can be snowing. You just never know. I would rather it be snowing at this point, quite frankly. Really? I don't I don't agree. I love a, I love a crisp autumn. I'm fine with the way it is. It's a little jarring, but it's only going to last a day or two. Oh. And it's only because it was so rainy. I mean, it looked like Vimy Ridge here this morning. I know. I've never seen such a density of fog in New York City. It was wild. I, I was driving up um, Throop, and you know how there's the church, a Throop and uh, Flushing? Yeah. Barely visible. Like five blocks away, I was like, ooh, spooky-ooky. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. I mean, you could basically see down to the end of each block that you were at. Maybe a little farther. A little farther, that, but... But it was pretty crazy. I mean... I checked the weather on my phone, as you do in the morning, mm. and it was a cloud with two white lines underneath it, two white horizontal lines. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? Clouds do cocaine? Is the phone glitching right now? Hmm. You know, because it's either like the rain icon or the little wind, right. well, everything that, that makes sense. I'd never gotten the dense the wall fog of, yeah. icon before, huh. Interesting. and that's what it meant. And I was like, that's strange. And then when I went outside, I'm not kidding, right? Or I'm not crazy, right? No. Like, it was, I don't know if I've ever seen it get so foggy. It was very, very foggy. It gets a little foggy sometimes, but I've not never seen foggy. anything this like that. This was wild. Yeah. And it lasted most of the morning, which was alarming. Yeah, it was It was strange, but it was a nice vibe. I like the fog. Fog's good. I mean, I like a fog because it, like, chills everybody out. You know, everyone's like, ooh, we're okay be moving a little slower today. Well, and you know? much like the snow in the middle of winter... Maybe it's just a placebo thing, but I feel that it oh, also quieter. dampens yeah. the sound. Yes, it does dampen the sound because it's more water in the air, you know, bouncing that around. Does you know the crazies do come out on, on a good old fashioned foggy day though? You know, on the ground level, you're walking around and a bent over, you know, angle bar person is wandering the streets harassing people. Yeah, the tire iron people. I mean, they're always harassing people though. There's nothing strange mm. about that. I just never see them, like in the wild, not at a train station. What do you mean? They're all over the place. I don't think... The city's a hellhole. Fox News is right. <laughs> They're everywhere. What do you mean you don't see them? They're well, not just at train stations. The tire irons are everywhere. Oh. They're blocking every intersection. They're knocking on your window when you're sitting in traffic. I mean, they're everywhere. What are you talking window. about? You don't live on the Upper East Side or something where there's only like an occasional tire iron person. And then they just shove them on the subway or the bus and say, get out of here. Get out of here. Go to a neighborhood with proles. <sighs> Not us fancy lads up here, you know. Is that what they do? They shuffle them down to fifty, you know, down to Fifty Ninth Street, I, and go. You have to be below the sixties. I'm making an oblique reference to uh, what's that? What's that? Orange County was doing that. Busting people on out. the West Coast, they were just like, you know what? Shove them on a bus, send them back to L.A., get them out of here. Hmm. And I think it's only a matter of time till New York starts doing that. What are we doing? Sending them to Staten Island? And hey, I mean, free free ferry ride! Woo! You know they don't like. They're not so uh, transparent about it, but I have a feeling that's what the NYPD is doing. You, you know, you go on the Upper East Side, you're not seeing bums. There's no bums up there. Mm. Very occasional like bums. Second though. Avenue. That's different, though. That's the parole section of the Upper East Side. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. That's the not the rich East, section. No. no. If it's not between Fifth and Third, it doesn't count. There should be a different name for that neighborhood over there where people actually live. Uh, yeah, it's called the hospital area. And don't just come to uh, when they have business to do, you know. Business. I guess, el shoots, I guess elderly we? women still live on the Upper East Side, but everybody else is just, uh, they're just dropping in from Connecticut when they have to do business in the city. Nobody really lives there. Mm. I feel like if you live on the Upper East Side, you do live there, but you weekend in Connecticut. Or you're just the type of rich where you don't live anywhere. As we've Correct. discussed yeah. many times. Yeah. You don't really have a home. Right. You might have been born on the Upper East Side, but that doesn't mean you live there. Right. You also live out in Flagstaff, you know, to get that dry desert heat mm -hmm. for your child with asthma. You know, whatever. They're all okay. over the place. The they got a place, with asthma is a turn. Okay. They got a place in Vancouver, probably. Ew, why? Or Seattle. Because they like the rainy Pacific Northwest weather, but only during certain seasons. Hmm. You got definitely a place in Martha's Vineyard somewhere. 
Somewhere in Florida. Next no, to the Obamas. I mean, they don't have a place in Florida. Are you kidding me? Upper East Siders? Yeah. They, Not these days. Mm. They don't get along with the people in Florida anymore. We don't have Palm Beach residences these days. They are the people who like the Florida. You know, they they love a good tax bracket write-off situation. Mm, yeah. So, you know. I don't know. You're going to Little St. James. You're doing whatever you're doing. Okay. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think we have any, like, Sedona people or any, like... No, I think we do. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Like, they're hippie, hippie people? Hippie rich people? I who said are, like, Flagstaff, but... No, I think that the Sun Belt is quite popular these days. I think a lot of people go out there. You know, think about Marfa. That doesn't count. I think it's just a, an aesthetic that people are going for now, so they go to the Southwest somewhere. Uh, they really live the Ralph Lauren life of I have to go to my cattle ranch? Yeah, I think a lot of people have cattle ranches. I mean, speaking of Epstein, he had one, too. Okay. You know? It was probably Les Wexner's originally, but then it was... I think it was Les Wexner, yeah. Yeah. That's that's more old school, like, yeehaw rich guy, which is I learned Ohio. some crazy facts about Epstein and Nexium and their connections to Israel, which perhaps we Nexium, should save for Nexium the Nexium the heartburn medication? No, Nexium the cult. Oh. It was like, it's like a sex cult, you know, a creepy guy that uh, okay. started getting involved with young women and, like, bringing them into his orbit. Oh, that was that one actress lady trying to get people to join it? Yeah, there was an actress involved. I forget her name. I'm not super familiar with Nexium, but the, the long and the short of it is is that there were two heiresses of the Seagram's gin fortune hmm. who got uh, caught up in Nexium. Hmm. But it turns out that their father was in a uh, Canadian... I really feel like we should save this for the after show because I'm afraid of touching this subject. You're going to step in it too hard? I th- yes. I actually mm. think I am going to save this for the after show. I'm not even going to invoke the J word after all the hull- hullabaloo. Oh, this week. boy. Okay. So, Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, he was... A, he was uh, <laughs> He was involved in a Canadian a businessman group of Jehovah's Witnesses that had their own state in the Middle East Can that you... they were running intelligence operations as a... a well, let's table consequence it, of. and you can hit pause on the record for a moment. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, speaking of coupons. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh, it's... I, anyway, like I have I to said, draw some ha- harder boundaries. I was getting all sorts of, like, blown up on my, my telephone. Yeah. Yesterday, and I was like, listen, I'm trying to be out and about in these streets. Like, please don't. Please don't bother me. Well, this is what happens, man. If you make yourself, um, if you try to draw boundaries in the sense that you don't want to be at work all the time, then you need to be accessible all the time. Ugh, I want to be neither. It's hard to have it both ways. I want to, you know, go in, smack the bird that punches the stone tablet, and then on the way out, smack that bird again, have it punch it again. Yabba dabba do. Yes. Yes. That's basically what Corolla is now. You know, uh, it's not tootsies. long until there's a, a hole rusted in the floor <laughs> of that car. One time I was on the freeway. This was many years ago when I was a teenager. I feel like this is a lot of pot and kettle. Doesn't your car have a hole in it? Had a hole in it? Well, it it had a rusted out wheel well, yeah. But now it has a wheel well that is uh, drilled on with machine screws. Self-tapping screws, rather. Many, many self-tapping screws. Because there was no way to Again, fix it appropriately. Ladies, let me tell you about self-tapping. And we had to take it to a uh, man in, in his garage in the suburbs because no legitimate mechanic would sign their name to that quality of workmanship. Well, they also would have to sign off that they did it and they wouldn't want to be excommunicado by the uh, repair people police. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you end, up in a, you end up in a garage somewhere in Mayfield Heights, um, pay $200 cash to a man and... Next thing you know, there's a machine and he, ta- in your and he taps you. He self taps yeah, you. He taps you. You definitely don't want to get tapped by this man. Large burly man. When I went there to pick up the car, that was a really that was a really weird experience too. My dad had dealt with this man. Mm-hmm. I had never really met the man, and he was like, "Oh, the car is just like sitting in the, his driveway with the keys in it. Just walk over there and get it." Huh? And I was like, "Okay." And when I walked over there, I like knocked on his door just because I thought like I'm not gonna walk. Up this guy's driveway and just and steal how does my he car know from I'm myself. Not just stealing yeah. this car, he's never met me. Right. So I try to knock on the door. Nobody answers. I don't have this guy's phone number or anything. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Then I walk around to the side door, which is just wide open. Yeah. And I walked in there, kind of knocked on the wall. I was like, "Hey, anybody here?" Nobody answered. I walked a little farther into the house. No one. Why was are you there. going into the home? I just I need to get in touch with somebody. No, you go. Oh, this is creepy. Get my car and leave. And well, at that point, I realized probably nobody's here. 
but why is the door open? You know, is he only gone for a second? Should I like wait around? Is it going to be weird if the car is missing? So anyway, I never got any resolution on that. But yeah, I could have ended up tapped in somebody's basement, Dahmer style. Mm. You know, they could have tapped my skull and put some motor oil in there or whatever. Mm. We're going to make you nice and cozy so you like being here. Anyway, my other story about a hole in the floor of a car was when I was a teenager driving around, I was on the freeway and it was like January or February, you know, icy, Uh slushy conditions. Correct. And there was some beat up like Geo next to me, probably a Corolla or something, you know, some little compact car that had a wedding dress hanging from the the hook on the back seat. Okay. But what they didn't realize is they had a hole in the bottom of their car and the wedding dress was just dragging across the freeway in the slush and the salt at like 65 miles an hour. They had to have known. Being utterly obliterated. I don't think they knew, man. Uh, why else would you do was that? Was the wedding dress on a plastic hanger? I don't know. I can't remember the hanger. I, I want to say recall. yes, because that seems very meth behavior to me. It did seem really odd, yeah. I'm, I don't know, though. Maybe they were doing an art project. Maybe they were doing like a Julian Schnabel thing where he like tied a bunch of canvas to the back of a Jeep and drove it around in Montauk. I'm going to say Maybe no. they were going to stretch that thing and write Moby Dick on it and sell it for $200 million. Uh, you know? I, I don't think uh, that's how that's going to work out for that particular item. Um, this was <clears throat> pre-meth. I don't think that I don't think that meth was big There's in Ohio. There's been meth in the everywhere. Early 2000s. I don't know. Oxycontin. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, this was like pre-fentanyl too. This was when people were just stealing pills from their parents. Uh-huh. It was so uh, quaint to think yeah. back on that. You just you know had some purple drink and some benzos and took a little drive What's on ben- seventy-seven. What's a benzo? Benzodiazepines. What is that? Uh, they're a particular. They're an anti-anxiety medication, I think, technically, but they're also highly addictive. Huh. They're like a Xanax. Oh. A Z- I think a Xanax is a benzo. Oh. I forget what the main benzo is called, but usually you just call them benzos. I thought a benzo was a car. Oh. I, you know what? That's like from a Nelly song. Yes. Yes. Same era. No, later. Nelly is very early. N- uh, late ninety, Late 99, early 2002. I guess so, but yeah, I feel like you would have called, called it a benzo back then. You know, again, quaint, quaint in the yeah. 90s prior to all the drugs. Huh. What was the drug of choice in the 90s? You know, in the 80s, it was cocaine. That's obvious. But I guess ecstasy. Raves. Yeah, raves. That was the big raves. thing. Raves. We mm-hmm. didn't call it Molly yet. It was just called ecstasy. Yeah. Or E. Or XTC. Were, yes. It was abbreviated and wasn't spelled out back XTC then. XTC sounds like a cryptocurrency. It was a band name. Hmm. Oh, actually, they should. Someone. Sh- someone. Not smarter than me, but slightly dumber should make a crypto called XTC. I guarantee it already exists. Oh, it's hard to find a three-letter crypto handle these days that hasn't been taken. <sighs> you should start one called FAG. Well, we only take your game money here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. It's only spendable on Grinder and Scruff. For what? You don't spend... Oh, for your... If your, you want you... the nudes to stay in the chat and not disappear... You have to pay some FAG. Excuse me, what? How do you know F-A-G about this? FAG coin. Every, everything has that. I mean, Instagram has that. Tinder has that. What? Yeah. The function of disappearing photos. Yeah, man. What do you think people are doing with all these apps? You think they're just, you know, it's not just your mom wow. sending you, like, puppy posts. Okay. You know? Uh-huh. That's not, most of the time, you want the thing to disappear. Huh. Intrigue. You know, don't screenshot it, because it'll tell them. Oh, you can't screenshot in Scruff. You can't? It just simply won't it let you? It just does the logo. I think what Tinder does is it will let you do it, but it just informs them that you did it. Oh. You know. That's weird. Which, at that point, I, th- I feel like if you're willing to pull that trigger, you don't care. Yeah, no, I think you're Congratulations, fine. you found out I did it. Never see you again. Bye. Yeah, I, I learned this when I tried to take a, a screenshot of the, the person who wanted to suck toes. And I was like, wow, I found one in the wild. Must must take screenshot this oh you is... found a feet person yeah really um this is weird you weren't into that you wouldn't why you wouldn't volunteer for that no what if it was for money mm. you know the... i don't know if i'd want to give someone a foot job quite frankly hmm. well you wouldn't have to do that that's not exactly what i was saying mm. i mean but maybe mm. you know it could escalate but i feel like the feet people are kind of desperate because they're still a little bit they're shamed you know we're not a kink shaming society but the feet people they should be everybody thinks they're a little weird Although, apparently, they're everywhere. Apparently, the world is rife with feet people. Ugh, gross. Anyway, what I'm saying is they're a little desperate. 
Mm-hmm. I think they're willing to spend money on like pictures of feet. On I gave one away for free feet. and was like, "What? Okay." Yeah, I forget what movie it's represented in. Maybe maybe it's a TV show. I can't I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. Maybe Succession or something. But there's an entire industry where girls go to parties, and the whole point of it is that the guys there just like touch their feet and look at their feet and play with their shoes and stuff. And you know it's a it's a click away from honest prostitution, but they don't really do anything sexual. You know, it's like the most modest form of tootin. You know, what's tootin? Prostituting. Oh yeah, I mean yes, yeah. It's a very modest form of it. You could say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's the what I was getting at was sharp would you cheddar. Do, of... Would you do something like that? Oh, I probably would. I mean, depends I don't think on it's... how much. Fifty and above only. 50, 50 bucks, that's not that expensive. But for, for pictures. Yeah, I think a lot of people would pay that. I think you could probably advertise that on Craigslist right now. You'd get 150 bucks tonight. You could use the same picture, too. You don't have to take one. I kind of have a giant blister on my big toe, so I don't know if they would go for that. Certain people are into that type of stuff. Uh, I don't know. You catch a Dahmer type that's like into viscera or like the inside of things. They, you, know. you have to stop watching television. Why? You're really on your Dahmer kick. You're like... I only watched half the Dahmer show. I didn't finish it. Did mm. I ever talk about the Dahmer show in here? Uh-huh. I did? Uh-huh. On the after show or on the main no, episode? No, I mean... Really? Yeah. Okay, I don't even remember that. But yeah, I wasn't really that into it. Mm. We did talk about it because it's the American Horror Story guy. And mm-hmm. his whole like pornographic lens on it is a problem for me, as is the woke washing. So it was two, well. it was two strikes. And by the time I got to the fifth episode where the formula for the episode was identical, I said that's strike three. I'm out. Huh. And normally I'd be into that type of thing, you know. I'm not opposed to serial killer stuff, but I'm also contrarian, and you know the prevalence of it. I have a problem with. I don't want to be a part of that. A little too much. Yeah. yeah. Three hundred thousand true crime podcasts that exist in the world. This is what serial has wrought on the world. Yeah, that's true. It is what serial has wrought. You know, it's like, ooh, did he do it? We don't know. We're gonna do NPR voice and make it like a wonky criminal thingy and then people were like no but what if it's more gruesome and more fucked up and are you terrified yet ladies do you know how to protect yourself from a man who breaks into your home with two hairpins and a knife well i I apologize if i if i'm repeating myself because i sincerely don't remember talking about this on the episode but my clumsy analogy that i was trying to draw out I, i tried this again with alan and i feel like i clarified it a little bit in conversation with him is i always try to compare it to war movies because i'm like look I'm into war movies, and that's kind of got a lot of similar traits, right? Like, there's a lot of gore. It's violent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got the intrigue of the extremes of human experience and stuff. So what's the difference between, like, that and serial killers? And my conjecture is that I don't like the serial killer stuff, and I don't like its effect on society because it makes people paranoid. You know, you take a statistically anomalous thing a one in a hundred million case like Jeffrey Dahmer, and then you start to extrapolate that into every interaction you have in your life. Mm. Like every lesson you take away from the extremes of human experience makes you paranoid about a very rare thing. Right. Whereas the war stories are more all-encompassing because not only are there multiple actors involved and, you know, geopolitics and nation states and large-scale, like, cultural lessons, you can't take that and apply it to any individual in your life. No. What it what it does is say, hey, there's these macro forces that are in control in society, and you can't do anything about that. But the individual moments within war stories are usually heroic or mm-hmm. empathetic or somehow tragic, right? And you can take those lessons and apply them in a positive sense. I don't think the serial killer l- stuff leaves you with any lesson other than everyone around you is psychotic, yeah. you get paranoid, and really all you're talking about is anomalies. Like this only happens every once in a while. It's not a very common thing. So it's not a general, you can't take anything general away from it, yet people do. I mean, and it has a negative impact. This is the thing of like, do you remember when people were like, check under your car because someone's going to slice your Achilles heel and you can't run away. And then I'm like, okay, what are they going to do with you after they slice your Achilles? Right. Or if you, you know, they flash your headlights at you, it's a gang initiation. They're going to turn around and kill you or the knockout game or all of these things that are. What's a knockout game? The knockout game was a, was a, you know, a thing where, well, you know, frankly, it was racial. They they would say, like, young children of color would come and just punch you as a form of game. What? The knockout game. It was just a, it was supposedly a a game amongst poor teens and children where they would, the whole point of it was, you know, you basically win the game if you run up to a stranger and knock them out with a punch. Oh. 
I think it probably happened once. Once, yeah. And, you know, then it's spun into this whole thing. That's a bad cover-up lie of, like, why did you punch that guy? And no one wants to be like, it just seemed like, you know, a thing to do. They're like, well, it's like a it's like a game. We do we do the knockout game. And it's like, and people are like, what? And they're, like, trying to sell it. Like, 12 teenagers are trying to sell it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a game, and we feel bad. Uh. Well, it's like one of those things you would see on, like, the local crime segment of the news, the local news. You know, uh-huh. like the knockout game, the newest like fad amongst or like rainbow parties. Like they always like hype up these basically urban legends right. into phenomenon you need to guard your children and yourself against, you know, rainbow part. I mean, or like please. satanic panics on records. I mean, oh, yeah. really, like every moral panic is a version of this. And I think right. the serial killer stuff lends itself to moral to panic. this idea. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I I think just like no one likes I mean you know it's it's a uh, I don't want to say it's a polite way uh for people to admit that they're twisted and gross about stuff but it's a way for people to be like did you hear that episode about blah 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 blah, blah? and it's like okay you fucking pervert like uh, that's the pornography you know of, like it's socially ew. it's socially acceptable pornography it's like an, it's basically an outlet for women to get out weird fantasies Ew. It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but it's fucking true. <sighs> you know? Ew. Yeah, I don't like that element like, of it Like, keep either. that shit to yourself. Or, I don't know, don't use the veil of serial killers to be like, you know, I would like to be slapped in the bedroom. You exactly. Know? Like, yeah, well, just have that conversation. Right, I have no problem with, like, w- with anything, really. Do it's... the Sex in the City brunch talk and, you know, have people, you know, walk away from the table if they're disgusted. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like you've never seen this show, so this this will fly over your head. But there's an episode. <laughs> there's an episode where uh, Kim Cattrall's character goes sits down at you know the brunch table and she's like, "My man has the funkiest tasting spunk." And Charlotte, the like Upper East Side person, just stands up without a word and walks out of the restaurant. <laughs> and I'm like, honestly, that's not the worst thing in the world that someone could say to you. But like, you know, just have that. Don't be like, you know. Did you hear about the lady who was just tied up and bound and thrown in the backseat of her car for 14 days or whatever? You, meanwhile, you're like, like, well, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's all about, that. I don't think it's all about that, but that's definitely a component. Yeah. That's definitely a component of it. You know? Yeah. Just have the shitty brunch conversation, you know? Yeah. I mean, the show that I do want to talk about that you caught a couple episodes of was Trauma Zone. Oh. The new Adam Curtis. It's, it's something. I'm I'm really curious what your thoughts are, are on what you saw. But, well, real quick for people that aren't aware, it's uh, yeah, Adam Curtis's new documentary about the collapse of the Soviet Union and the uh, well, he calls it the collapse of this, the collapse of communism and of democracy because uh, it goes through the 1990s primarily, where there was uh, failed attempts to create democracy in Russia, and it details how the oligarchs ended up taking over and ends with Putin. Oh, I never saw the end then. It's really only the last episode. In, in fact, uh, we can get to it. But that was one of my only criticisms of the series because I liked it a lot. Was that um, it's a little too light on Putin. I wish there was an eighth episode where you got to see like uh, the Second Chechen War and sort of like the beginning of Putin. Mm. That would be interesting. But I feel like the BBC footage probably just ran out or something. Well. Or it's still like, I don't know. Or that's still like a live question, how this is all going to shake out, and that yeah. wasn't really in the purview of the documentary. No. That's probably more that's, why. That but you, seems you, right. you get yeah. a little bit of Putin at the end when, you know, Yeltsin's a drunk, and they need to get him out of the way, and they need somebody to play ball with the oligarchs. Right. And also with the West. People tend to forget that. The whole thing with Putin is that at first he seemed like an upstanding, like, simulacrum of a Western politician. And he did make a lot of... I mean, he got along well with the George W. Bush administration. You know, you you tend to forget in, in light of the last few years and all the propaganda. First, they were buddy, buddy, yeah. First with Trump and then Ukraine. Like, I don't know. Did you really hear that much about Vladimir Putin before 2015? Not really. Mm, a little bit. We were kind of all tight with him. I mean, the thing, you know, the thing in Georgia was kind of a problem. Crimea was kind of a problem. It built up slowly, but... Right. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean... You kind of saw, uh, I think you saw episode, like, three and four, uh-huh. or maybe three, four, and five, but you kind of caught an interesting moment, because you missed, you, you missed Perestroika. That stuff was very fascinating to me, because I've always liked that period. 
meaning like uh, the mid-80s till the fall of the Berlin Wall, mm-hmm. like uh, Gorbachev and like the failed reforms under communism, how, right. that, how that all worked out. Then you kind of saw the early 90s and mid-90s, Where which should... are less familiar to Americans, right. you know, the, the, the kind of Yeltsin being installed and the coups against uh, the communists. Yeah, I mean, what I saw was like, you know, Yeltsin essentially ousted and then going, well, I still got the military, so fuck that parliament. Yeah. Um, and just shelling the shit out of this building. I'm like, uh, what? Yeah, I mean, we should say real quick, one of the best things I think about this one, the reason I enjoyed it maybe more than a lot of other Adam Curtis stuff is I, I think he did the right thing by not narrating it and mm-hmm. not putting his like poppy stylized music over it. Yeah, there's no Radiohead, which I thought... Bless. Which, uh, th- that's an element of Adam Curtis I always like. It makes his stuff, like, kind of hypnotic. And he's he's a good editor. He's good about scene selection and how to do this. But this footage was just so powerful in its own right, for the most part. There was a camel being hoisted, just yeah. screaming. And I was like, same. So he does a good job of, like, threading in seemingly non-sequitur images and stuff that really give you an idea how out of control things are. But right. the scene you're describing, yeah, is a really, is a really famous event. I mean, it, it, it's complicated, but... Uh, what happened was that, like, uh, there were elections, and I believe initially Yeltsin was elected, or one of Yeltsin's lackeys was elected, uh-huh. and then it kind of went to shit, and people were like, no, fuck this, let's go back to the communists. So communist right. hardliners in the military at the time, and in the parliament, we're like, no, we're going to try to, we're going to stop these capitalist reforms and try to go back to the old way. This is after people were getting paid in the goods that they were producing. That's right. Which yeah. was stupid. People were either not getting paid at all for months on end, or they just started to be able to take home things from the factories they worked in and try to sell them to wealthier people on trains as they went through their little which towns. Which didn't quite work so which well. Which, of course, doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, the economics of all this, we got to get into because it's a mess. <sighs> but, it's a mess. But yeah. anyway, yeah. So Yeltsin had the support of more members of the military than the communists did, and, you know... He basically, like, did Curtis Yarvin's wet dream and just fulfilled his will to power and was like, fuck this, we're just going to shell the parliament until they give up. And then took, I'm, like, what, three hours? I'm the president now. Yeah. yeah. They didn't last very long. No, it was two days, something like that. Yeah, I think it was a couple of days, but, I mean, imagine that. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy footage to watch because, like, you know, we were all alive for this, but not, you know. It was not, not on American. Sentient. It was not on American television because, you know, what was happening at the time? blue dress time no it was a little pre, it was, it was it, pre blue dress time. it was pre pre ah, pre blue dress time but that is related because they actually show this in trauma zone too clinton was buddy buddy with yeltsin the americans right. wanted yeltsin they were basically like look shock therapy which is the overnight institution of capitalism like which did is more, why everything was a great. shit show yeah. they were like we got to get this over with yeah we got to get them on the same page as us yeltsin's the guy doing it much like we do with tin pot dictators everywhere, we don't really care what their politics are or how much corruption there is. We're like, just get him, get him involved, get him in, get it done in the banking scheme, and whatever it takes. Yeah. So I'm sure it was on American television, but I would really like to. Maybe I'll do a little YouTube dive on this. I would really like to go back to like news broadcasts from like the ABC era news or whatever, and see yeah. how that was portrayed, because I could imagine the spin being very obvious, like. Oh, the communists attempted a coup, and Yeltsin was just defending new capitalist Russia against the vile communists. Yeah, that's about how it would be put. Which yeah. is, I'm sure, how he portrayed it too within Russia. Yeah. It's just that, you know, the Soviet Union had only collapsed like three years before, so a lot of people were still down with the other way. You know, right? Um, I mean, there was that lady like kissing the. Um, the stalin picture that i was like what ma'am huh what you're down with okay all right interesting 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 like the choice like i don't know it just seems like everybody was in a rock and a hard place and no one on the west was you know trying to help them because they're like haha we won the cold war by fucking you all over so deal with it yeah i mean i remember saying to you while we were watching it like isn't it amazing to think like what we did for nazi germany and imperial japan relative to what we did for russia and the eastern Bloc states which was nothing right um but later there's a a couple episodes later uh, after things settled down a bit and yeltsin is you know thoroughly entrenched and the oligarchy is thoroughly entrenched 
uh, the IMF and the Americans did send Russia a lot of money, but the oligarchs subsequently just stole it. Just all took it, yeah, and reinvested it in foreign markets. So it didn't improve the situation at right. all, and we just kind of let that go. You know, like I mean, I mean, you know, imagine I mean, like you know, we gave money to like who like Manuel Manuel Noriega in Panama, or like all sorts of fascist like dictators or whatever dictators everywhere, but they had to do what we told them to do. For a little bit, and when least. they didn't, yeah. we deposed them. But it's like yeah. we give the oligarchs all this money to like turn their economy around and kind of calm it down over there, and they just steal it all. And we're just like whatever. Yeah. It's it's really kind of amazing. Like at at every turn, it was the so most much serious yeah. punishment just via th- yeah theft from people. But um, which is why like I I don't understand why Russians aren't more like you know you know civil worldly inclined to you know fuck fuck over some oligarchs instead of trying to take out any sort of like or not take out but like be antagonistic towards the west because it's like it's the call is coming from inside the house well imagine this though i think they just have a different relationship to like figures of authority because imagine in three generations okay you have the czarist regime oppressing everyone uh literal serfdom until about the same time that we freed our own slaves you know so think about America's yeah. history with the Civil War and how fraught and complicated that is and how, yeah. like, you know, resigned most people are to whatever whatever the consequences of that may be. It's just what are we going to do about it? Right. Um, and you have certain fights at certain times, civil rights, you know, Jim Crow is abolished, you know, Brown versus Board of Education. You mm-hmm. get through certain patches here and there. But right. think about how lasting that legacy is. Now imagine yeah. this. Serfdom is abolished around the same time. You go through the czarist regime. You go through a Bolshevik revolution that turns around and oppresses anybody that had any remotely capitalist or czarist sympathies. Right. You know, the Russian Civil War happens where all the foreign powers come in and try to take down the communists. That's all going on. Stalin comes in and corrects that situation, but it takes a lot of mass death to get everybody in line. By the time things settle down, you have World War II. Mm -hmm. By the time World War II settles down, you have the Cold War. By uh-huh. the time the Cold War settles down, you have perestroika, and then you have what you see in Trauma Zone. Right. You have the collapse of this entire system, and then you have a bunch of, like, uh, oligarchs and strongmen, like, take power again, start a bunch of wars, steal all the money. By the time you get to now, yeah, it's like, who cares? I, th- I, I This is yeah. kind of explicitly said in Trauma Zone at one point. It's like, even in the in the limited years that they cover from 85 to 99 the amount of times like economic systems and power were turned over and turned over and turned over and it only got worse or didn't change yeah everyone just resigned to it there, there's that little old lady in the countryside which i think is really funny she's like they're like who are you gonna vote for she's like mm, i don't know i'm gonna vote for it doesn't really matter whoever's gonna win is gonna win because they already chose it yeah and then she's like oh are you recording Ooh, spooky they're gonna come and get me now and she's like this little old toothless woman just like She's just like, oh, no, the big, bad, scary men are going to be mad that I said that. You know, like everybody's just like, whatever. I mean, again, for people that lived through Stalinism and like like, secret police, they're like these fucking oligarchs. Who cares? Yeah. These guys aren't any worse than that. No, they're like, "Mm, these aren't even like mobsters. These are just like lazy mobsters. Yeah. They're so what? It's like, you know, it's like if Goodfellas ran a country. I mean, yeah, we talked. Yeah, we talked about that. You know, yeah. I mean, I think it's just kind of the kind of thing of like, you know, the, I mean, the most sinister thing is that like, you know, a white collar theft revolution, white collar mob work is a lot more detrimental to society as a whole um, because it's just so invisible. It's invisible transfers of money. It's paper signing and it's not like mob shit or gang shit, you know? No, not really. I mean, there was out-and-out gang stuff in Russia, though. Like, yeah, but... they, you know, the oligarchs warred with each other for a while. I mean, part of um, Yeltsin's ousting and Putin's rise was uh, Yeltsin kind of sat down the oligarchs and was like, listen, all your little inner Nicene conflicts need to stop, and also you need to limit this corruption. Because yeah. you're, you're putting the whole, you're putting our whole grift the whole, at the risk here. The whole scheme here, is falling apart. And yeah. so you need to cool it. And it, and he wasn't really able to do that, but it was Putin that was able to get all those people. Well, because he was like, "I will sick the KGB on you, and you will not e- know peace." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he was like, "I will actually like," you know, he had enough political clout to have the authority of the state on his side for the first time. They had been utilizing the state however they wanted. He's right. the one that turned it around. So again, like back to you know r- Russian people and why they don't have like a revolutionary attitude. Mm-hmm. This is why they like Putin. A lot of them, 
for okay. the for the most part is he calmed the situation down, got the the government to actually act like a government. Yeah, sure, there's still large scale corruption, right. but at least like people aren't you know blowing up each other's cars and shooting each other like that. Sure, you're going to fight the Chechens. You know, there's going to be problems in Dagestan. Maybe you're going to go into Ukraine later, Georgia, mm. all of this stuff. But like, you know, reframing that as like we're recapturing the empire we lost thanks to the corruption of all these dolts. Right. It's not like a bla- bad political strategy. It doesn't make him a good guy or anything, but it's very it understandable. puts the people on your side. Yeah, you know, of course. Until they're just, like, over it. They're like, can we not... Which is what we see now, like, people protesting in the streets going, can we just not do wars? Yeah, I mean... They're like, we're tired. Of, uh, stop it. We're, we're done. The, we're conscrip- done. the conscription thing that we've talked about a couple of times is a, is a really major... That seems like a really major turning point to me, because I think people can put up with a lot. Like, you know, think about the number of wars that Americans been in and the number of deaths we've caused both of our own people and right. the millions of nobody gives a fuck but the moment they were like actually you all have to be in the army to keep this going everyone would Everyone's suddenly like, start to care oh no we'd be like excuse what yeah yeah you know the gravy train the gravy train of the money that makes the extraction mechanism of it doesn't bother anybody right. it's the participating in it that bothers people you know well d- no shit yeah um no one wants to do war no one wants to go to army you know how am I going to win baby seals? Yeah, right. Loose seal. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I'm... Man, there, there's something weird in watching that documentary. Like, I always like watching things about North Korea for the same reason. Hmm. Like, I like seeing an alternative. Even though it's dead and gone, and you know communism's a ghost, the Marxist-Leninist yeah. form of this thing is like never coming back. I know. But to just like see another world, even in even in all of its like degraded state, it wasn't yeah. a glorious thing by 1989. But like, it was something else. It looked like 1972, and they were fully in the 90s. Yeah, and I was like, huh? Yeah. Huh? Uh, what's that country that I said that I liked? Tropical, tropical but brutal. Tropical but brutal. That the curvy architecture. Curvy architecture. Uh, Kyrgyzstan? No. Oh, are you talking about well, you're talking about one of the Central Asian states? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably Kazakhstan or something like yeah. that. Yeah. One of those, yeah. I want to go to there. They they warn with anybody down there? <laughs> uh yeah, they actually they're they are kind of popping off. I mean, you know, Armenia popping off too? Armenia and Azerbaijan aren't exactly what you're talking about, but mm. that's in the neighborhood. That's oh, the Caucasus, but like right right over to the east, those Central Asian states, yeah. Those I, people aren't Caucasian. I think right now. Oh, that was a funny bad joke. Um, I think uh, right now, I think it's Turkmenistan and Kyrgyzstan, maybe, oh. or Tajikistan and Turkmenistan. Two of those countries are popping off with each other. Hmm. You know, a lot of the because of this war in Ukraine and like Russia's uh, use of resources in that one zone, mm-hmm. the other countries in their sphere of orbit are kind of doing their own thing now because they kind of have to. Oh. You know, you get less oil or you have to give more to Russia. They're having their right. own political problems spats. as a result, yeah. and several of those places are just out-and-out dictatorships. Oh. So, hmm. you know, they might have some spats with each other, and that's not good because they're over yeah. there by Pakistan. They're over there by Afghanistan, India, China. Hmm. You don't want to, you know... that That's the zone of no fuck aroundsies. You don't want to mix it up over there. Because India will just be like, excuse me, and then if you do anything on Chinese soil, then it's just on, like, Donkey Kong, you know? Well, yeah, who knows? I mean, I, you know, I don't know a ton about the politics of that region. I can't really speak to it, but it does seem like, you know, an accident waiting to happen, just like a lot of other things. Well, that's fun. But, yeah, I don't know. Watching, you know, watching the economic reforms try to happen, watching the imposition of capitalism, like, it, 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 you, yeah. The complexities of a market system you never think about. One of the beautiful things about it is that, like, Adam Smith invisible hand thing. You know, like, all of this stuff really just does function by incentive structures and through some, like, social magic of people cooperating with each other. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. seeing when that just, like, evaporates and then has to be instituted was really interesting. That's big hand energy. You know, we we were saying, like, yeah, big hand energy. Good good title. Title of that. Um, we were saying like, you know, so imagine you go from communism where you don't have to, you, you know, you don't even really have a pension fund 
You especially don't have a 401k. Right. Because everything's more or less free. I mean, you're paid for your work and you do some amount of exchange, but it's all calculated and everyone is provided for. To a situation where, like, not only do you have to institute, like, they didn't have a stock market. Like, think about that. You have to institute an entire financial system from the ground up and keep things functioning at the same time. It's, like, not a mystery why it didn't work. Oh, it was never going to work in that way. You You can't just, like, throw the brakes on and be like... New way. But, you know... Left turn. Granted, there's nuances in all of these cases, but, like, a lot of the time, like, um, libertarians will cite places like Poland and Czechoslovakia, like, places that did have a better transition from communism, because it didn't go as badly everywhere as it did in Russia. Hmm. Like, the oligarchy and the capture... Poland as as ideal citizens... Well, I mean, look, Poland is, you know... Poland is a member of the European Union. It's a member of NATO. It, you know, basically pays its own bills. It has a welfare state more substantial than the United States does. What do they do there besides make, like, snacks? I'm not sure. I mean, they must have natural resources. I'm sure Poland is a farming country. They got some rocks. I think that's why they were always kind of caught between Russia and Germany as, like, a prized possession. was like, you know, we need this. They got the fields. We need these fields. Mm. Yeah. They probably got something in those rocks, and we we know about their famous springs. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's pulling springs from upstate New York. <laughs> um, but you know, I, but yeah, there were other examples where it didn't go as badly. But again, like they, they were smaller countries; they weren't like as important geopolitically. They weren't like adversaries directly of the United States. You know, they were border countries with. Germany with like more important allies of ours. So of course we're incentivized to make sure it goes a little more smoothly. Right. You know, I feel like all these, the problem is these landlocked countries, they they just got to get to some water. They got to go on holiday. You know, there's nowhere near, you know, the Mediterranean to really vibe out, you know? Well, you know, I mean, that's what the Crimea thing was all about. This has always been a big problem for Russia. You know, there's that Mm -hmm. little, there's that little piece of Russia that is not contiguous with the rest of Russia. That is on the North Sea called Kaliningrad. Sure. It's a, it's a little, it's west of Russia and it uh, borders, I think, like Estonia and Poland uh-huh. and maybe Germany. But it's, but it's just sort of over there. Okay. They got that at the end of World War II. That belonged to Germany for oh. a long time. Prussia, actually. Oh, well. As like a nice, you know, seaport. But Russia has always had the problem of they don't have seaports except uh, during the summer. All of their seaports are iced in. Right. Until you get all the way over near, like, Japan, but even those are pretty far north. Yeah. So in order to, like, conduct trade and keep their economy going, this has been a constant problem for them. So they get Kaliningrad after World War II, but because they have to go through European territory to, like, service that area, and because they have their own internal conflicts there because it's a largely German population and, and Polish population. And with, they're not really, like, keen on being Russian. With Russian Germans, authority, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. It's it's not the best situation. It's also still pretty far north. Crimea is perfect because it's a far south freshwater port that can stay open year-round. Huh. And historically, it was always a part of Russia until Khrushchev gave it away <sighs> to Ukraine. But at the mm. time, the USSR was all one place, so it didn't seem like a big deal. Uh, it was the breakup of the Soviet Union that made that a de facto area of Ukraine, which it never would have been if it wasn't for Khrushchev. That's the that's the Weinstein guy, right? Doing this back before no, that's uh, Gorbachev. Oh, whatever. Khrushchev was in the fifties and sixties. They're all bald men with white tufts of hair on the side of. The, that's true. You know, it's very hard to keep track. They you all know? look the same. Um, what's his face? The one that looks like Bill Clinton. He's the only one with hair. Yeltsin. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeltsin has hair. He he looks like American politician. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like square of jaw, potato face. You know, generally trustworthy, drunk uncle. You know, like. A vibe that we, on the American side, clearly were like, that seems right for us, you know. Um, but these, like, little short stocky men with the, like, potato, again, round potato head, but with, like, Santa hair, like, yeah. glued to the sides, like. And they're all in the same goddamn suit, that that gray that is, I can only describe as sad gray. Yeah. It's like a brown gray suit of no shape, and they all wore it. All the like people in the parliament buildings all had that same sack suit. Yeah, I mean, I think that was just Soviet aesthetics. The idea was to look anti-capitalist. You wanted to look, you know, uh, sort of humble. 
in the si- but they kind of don't like they kind of look like I'm important I'm cut out like paper doll of important political figure. Yeah, it was the uniform of a bureaucrat. Right. In the same sense that in the United States like presidents and uh politicians they deliberately wear boxier suits than they should because if you look too tailored you'd look untrustworthy. You look right. slick like a salesperson. Right. Whereas you want to look like a guy that's going to his 9 to 5 job at PNC Bank or whatever. Right. But like in the Soviet Union it's like even worse. They they look like, you know, you know, Uncle Mo is running late and he's a little sweaty and he's like, oh, yeah, I yeah, got my yeah. business papers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know. that, that was used like in propaganda and in cartoons. That was always the caricature of like a communist revolutionary. It was like a disheveled professor looking type. Yes. In a boxy suit like that. Uh-huh. You know, they played into that, too. Again, like the aesthetics are not insignificant, like especially of Yeltsin. He did tailor himself to look more Western. Yeah. And it works. Like in that footage, you can really tell the difference between him and other people. He's oh, yeah. Th- he stands out in a crowd by his choice of dress and choice of hair and all of this he stuff. Also, he behaves like a Western politician, like shoulders back, yeah, exactly. proud, proud head. And everybody else in those like par- parliamentary things are like hunched shoulders and like, eh, we're doing things for country. But, and you're like, can you maybe not look so shady about it? Like you look suspicious. You want to look like a politician, not a bureaucrat. Right. That was the distinction at the time. And Putin played into that, too. I mean, Putin... Time. But he's also, like, a tailored motherfucker. He's a salesman. That's why he sold, you know... Well, he's changed over time, too. Like, you, you should watch that last episode and see, like, the late 90s, early 2000s Putin. He's young. Mm-hmm. He's a little weaselly. He looks a little scared at all times. But mm-hmm. he has the correct demeanor. Oh. He's not... You know, Yeltsin was a drunk. He was a little bit sloppy... There was that. There's that scene where he's like in Crimea and he like, you know, takes a picture with a half naked girl and then like throws her in the water. That was funny. Putin had the better sense to not do things like that. You know, again, drunk uncles played well in, you know, to American and Western audiences. Yeah, like sure. oh, the Europeans l- just do this wacky shit. You know, mm-hmm. think about it. Like that was also during the time when when was uh, Chigolina installed? Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I mean. In the Late 80s, 90s? I think. No. no. Was she in politics after Made in Heaven? After the Jeff Koons thing? Well, I don't know. I thought she was in politics before that, but I'm not sure. Or Berlusconi, too. Like, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's that whole range of time where everyone was like, those wacky Europeans doing their governing, they're just doing some loopy shit, you know, and you're like, uh, the fuck's going on over here? Well, now everybody's like that. Trump, Boris Johnson, like, everybody's got one. You know what I mean? I know, but it's weird. Yeah. Like, granted, yeah, it just keeps people entertained. At a certain point, that's all it's really about. Right. You got to just keep the, you know, everything going on behind the scenes is just deep state stuff. We just don't look at that. Look at the clown that's out there, like, partying in Crimea. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, this is why, like, you know, what's her face in, in Germany? Merkel was just like, hmm. She's like, I don't party. I don't do anything. I just control the money. This huh. is going great for me. Yeah, you know, I think the the Germans avoid this trap so far. Like, who's the person after Merkel? Ever mm-hmm. heard of him or her? I no. haven't. You never hear about it. No. Who cares? They're not entertaining. No. But, the, you know, the Germans are just the deep state of Europe. Always have been. Well, again, yeah. we don't want to let them get too... <laughs> we don't want to give them too much power. It doesn't go well. Oh, don't send Kanye over there. Oh, boy. You know, he's he's going to start causing problems. So you might look for some Lebensraum. I don't know what that means, and I'm not going to ask. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Oh, the other, the last thing on this. Uh, the other thing that I really liked about Adam Curtis was the thread that he would put into each episode that was, you know, admittedly kind of heavy-handed, but like a parallel for what was going on. We're going to talk about the horse? The, the horse was great. Uh, so let me finish that yeah. setup. Like, so he, what he would do is there would be like a B story basically that was following like some major or minor event culturally that was happening parallel to all these dramatic, like socio-political things. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like in one instance, while the Soviet union is collapsing in 1989 and the Berlin wall is falling, the Soviets were sending like their last probe to a moon of Mars and, Right around the same time that the Berlin Wall falls, that probe mission fails and crashes into the moon. And huh, yeah, all of these things are happening in parallel, and these things are being cut to for the majority of the episode, and it's like not clear why for a while. And then it usually pays off. The one that you're referring to, do you want to lay it out or do you want me to? Oh, yeah. the What is it? The president of Turkmenistan? 
One of those countries, yeah. One of the stands. Yeah. Stan Smith was down there, and he had these weird, freaky horses, right? Like Sarah Jessica Parker, like long face horses, you know. Um, but he had he wanted to gift one to the UK for some unholy reason. Yeah, I think he was just trying to align himself with the West. He knew which way the wind was blowing, and he was like, I'm out of the orbit of the oligarchs. Let's yeah. get in line with the world order here. Right. And for they rebuffed him so many times. They're like, we don't want your horse. We don't want your horse. We don't want your horse. And then finally, they're like, we'll put him in the countryside. He won't be, you know, knowing what I know of the, the royal horses, did not look like any of the royal horses. This no. one looked like a greyhound that got too big. This is some like weird holdover from the Mongol Empire, you know? It's He's like, like, this is the most important thing. In my-. It's a very Borat moment. It is very, yeah. You'll take my horse and well, my wife. Horse might have been his wife. You, know. you never know. <laughs> um, again, big, long hair, very SJP. Um, but he, they finally like accept it, and they're trying to get this horse with, you know neon pink leg warmers onto this truck to ship it off and it's like no no so they're like walking it up the little little stairwell and it just stops dead and is actively like resisting getting in what honestly looks like you know a couple matchsticks on wheels like very old-timey like oregon trail level like not contemporary even in you know post-communist russia really it looks broke down dirty and busted um so this this horse is not having it so they try and it keeps cutting back to this like thing when they try to get you know this is during that parliamentary thing where they're trying to get some order trying to get some order and this guy's trying to get this horse on the thing horse is not going they throw a t-shirt on top of the horse's eyes and it's like fuck all of you fuck your mom fuck your dad like there it's it eventually bucks uh you know the the t-shirt and then just like does fighter stance does it full like 180 is like who put the fucking t-shirt on me yeah and like starts throwing these dudes around and i was like good for you horsey yeah you know um just to set the backdrop a little bit more too this is you know this is as like soviet satellite states are trying to leave the the horse is trying to leave like its proverbial home or it's or try- they're, they're yeah. trying to make it leave its proverbial home and it doesn't want to and it's saying no, there's no. a new like uh resurgence of communist support in a lot of these countries because they want to maintain what's left of the ussr so that's all going on the other thing that you made me realize just in this moment and i don't know if you saw this scene or not but um when the initial falling apart of communism starts to happen gorbachev sends tanks in to a uh anti-communist protests in moscow yes and there are veterans of their Afghan war there, the Russian war in Afghanistan, that know how to stop the tanks. And the way to do that is to throw a giant canvas over the tank to cover up the eye holes so they can't see where they're going. So the T-shirt oh. over the horse is kind of a callback to this. Like, Interesting. Uh, blindness of your adversaries is like kind of a... Blinding your adversaries is kind of a motif and like trying to uh, use the tactics that you learned in your own country against it. Right. Are kind of a thing hmm. throughout the show. It's a masterfully yeah. edited thing. There's lots yeah. of things like that. I'm sure it would re- reward a rewatch. But this is why you don't need like the, the haughty British no. accent and the you know it's just like all caps, uh, Helvetica or Ariel. Yeah, it's not even you know it's just like boom, and it, it's because that actually fits the like. It looks like fa- all found footage with that just like typeface. Just blank white. It looks like just. It looks like public access television, right? Yeah. yeah. You're like, well, it's it does. BBC, so it's really yeah. interesting to watch from this perspective, because you know Adam Curtis has obvious uh, left leaning sympathies. He always has hypernormalization. Century of all of his documentaries have this like running through it. Right. So the like it's a little dated the last couple of years, but the like return of a certain kind of leftist sympathy is there. Um. But also with the war in Ukraine and like the, you know, the obvious conflicts we're having now with great powers, like it's an interestingly timed documentary and it, and a lot of smart, well, a lot of smart yeah. choices made in it. And the public access aesthetic of it kind of makes you feel like you're watching it now. There's like a weird, right, yeah. there's like a weird Mark Fisher, like temporal thing that happens where you're like, whoa, this feels like it's happening now, well, because B- even though you know it's a, a bygone reality. BBC and PBS stuff all kind of has the same crackled aesthetics. Yeah. Like, you know, like it, 
they're not strapping GoPros and, you know, filming Jacques Pepin. They're using their old 80s shit still. They're like, if it's not broke, unless you give us $25 and you give us a tote bag, we're not buying new cameras. So sorry. Well, I'm a little bit, um, I'm excited to check out Ken Burns' new documentary about the Holocaust. Because oh I, think, I think Ken Burns um, has made some really good stuff, but Adam Curtis is far superior as a documentary filmmaker to him. Um, but what I'm realizing now is like the difference with the Curtis stuff is that it's so straightforward and minimally presented that it's really visceral. Whereas Ken Burns with his, you know, named effect, the Ken Burns effect, he introduces all the sentimentality into things and this mythology into things. Is the Holocaust one just going to be like, hi, you want to cry for an hour and a half every time it's on? Well, it's specifically about the American complicity in the holocaust Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and i only i have not watched it i read one negative review of it that uh, you know you could anticipate without having watched it which said basically like torture porn well no the reason that it sucks is that it's trying really hard to make clumsy liberal parallels to our global adventures today with American complicity in the Holocaust. And it basically presents like all American anti-war opposition during World War II as being anti-Semitic, which wasn't true. Uh, And tries to draw a parallel today to like all opposition to like wanting to send funding to Ukraine or whatever, being equivalent to supporting Nazis, you know, which is very Ken Burns. He's, he's overtly political in a way that's gross. He does that thing of like, why not just like have him sing the national anthem every time? You know, like, that's his job. Nobody wants to look at his helmet hair, you know? Wow. But, yeah, I mean, this is what I'm getting at with that aesthetic angle, was that, like, his aesthetic, it it can be good for certain subjects, but is very sentimental and mythologizing in a way that I think does disservice to real history, where... uh, This is why, like, Ken Burns, baseball, you're like, yeah, that's your your perfect item. That's better for you because that is actually a perfect subject in that it's supposed to be about romanticizing and mythologizing like a frivolous thing yeah his aesthetic applied to that is wonderful and it does say a lot about america through large through his take applying that to the holocaust i don't know like didn't he do the one about world war ii that i was like this is boring his one about world war ii is not so good Uh, his best i think are the civil war uh jazz and baseball i never saw jazz and, the, you know, the Civil War one only works because he made it in the early 90s. If he right. made it today, it would be a very different movie. I, I'm sure it'd be schlock. He would be, yeah. he would be kowtowing to contemporary politics in a way that would be uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. the, the reason that it kind of works is that it is actually a balanced take about both sides, which you would never be able to do right. today. No. Um, but, yeah, but it, contrast that with the straightforward presentation and then the very smart choice, self-aware choice on Adam Curtis's part to strip back his own aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Ken Burns would never do that. Imagine no. Ken Burns making a documentary without the Ken Burns effect in it even once. And without his voice? And, and fucking... The, the heroism and, like, you know, artistic integrity of Adam Curtis to be like, no, actually, the thing to do is not do what I usually do. No. Smart move. Just cut. Yeah. Cut, edit, go. It's very artful because, you know, what do we always talk about in terms of art is, like, you know, brevity is the soul of wit. Like, economy is the best way. Right. And to to have the lack of hubris to say, like, actually me interjecting myself into this is not right. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do as an artist. You want right. to, like, stylize it because it's fun. Yeah. But he's like, no, it's better to he's do like, this nope, not. He's like, nope, it is what it is. And it works really, really well. Yeah. I, I mean, interesting throughout, can highly recommend. <sighs> yeah. I mean, speaking of brevity being, you know, everything and being concise and editing, R.I.P. to the goat. Oh, yeah. We got to mention Sheldahl. Oh, Shelly. Yeah, that is sad. You know, everyone knew it was coming. It's kind of the best death, you know. Kind of thought he, well, we thought he was going like a year or two ago. You know, it's been a while. We're For like three we're, years. We're like, oh, he's still writing. Jesus. As Christ. a matter okay. of fact, it's like it's interesting with Green and Lewis because one of our early episodes was all about his. Um, the cancer essay. I think the New Yorker retitled it like, what do they title it? Like Dying With Me or something saccharine and dumb. No. His original title was 77 Sunset Me. Yeah. Because he was 77 when he wrote it and he thought he was going to die. He lived till 80. Right. But we started this podcast a little over three years ago. It was right around that time that that mm-hmm. came out. You know, you and I have met him before and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, So, you know, it's kind of a good old person death where, like, 
you knew it was coming. Yeah. Everyone did. He seemed reconciled to it. He went out like a true champ, not com- fucking complaining no. or getting saccharine. He wrote a review of... Days before he died. What show was that again? No, it was the Mondrian. That wasn't the last one. He wrote one uh, uh, two weeks ago. Of what? About one of the museum shows that was up. I can't believe I'm blanking on this right now. No, the last thing he filed was the Mondrian one. Like, So the museum essay was written before, and the last thing that he gave to David Remnick was the Mondrian uh, bibliography. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I just I, I just read a uh, obit of him last night from the New Yorker that was saying, like, he public he in two weeks before he died he wrote another review oh jesus christ that yeah. came that just came out huh um i can't i wish i could remember what it was i can't we'll have to look it up later but yeah no but that was, I, that I was the remnick you know obit oh okay uh, well he you know he went out with a lot of grace yeah his, the last few pictures that they published in his obit were of him smoking cigarettes because remember during that during that initial essay it stuck out to me he was like oh i took to the vape because when I got diagnosed, you know, they told me I got to stop. So I relented. But it seemed like at the end he was like, nah, fuck it. I'm dying. Who gives a shit? Yeah. And just went back to it. And he said, you know, there was an amazing quote from him in the obit that was like, uh, that was like, alcohol was destroying my life. Tobacco just shortens it. Yeah. With the, with the, uh, with the best parts of it over anyway. Uh-huh. And I was like, Damn. That's like poignant and beautiful. And I went back and read a, a couple of his, uh, a couple of his reviews that were linked in that obituary. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I mean, I just miss his writing style. He did have a great way with words. Him being a poet it probably has a lot to do with that. A yeah. lot to do with that. I don't know his poetry, but oh yeah, I don't know if any. I don't. Um, no, I'm just looking up. Uh. Uh. Andrew Russith did a bunch of like blurbs that were like you know like the way that that jeff coon's essay that's in um hydrogen jukebox is great because it starts off with a bang it's like jeff coon's make, makes me sick and then you're already in and you're already like ooh, and he's like no i actually love this shit gotcha bitch and you're like oh you are such a smart little man yeah you know i went back and read a um negative review he wrote of a francis bacon retrospective at the met he hate he hated francis bacon uh, you should go back and read it because I hate Francis Bacon too. Yeah, and like I've never really been able to tell you why. It's just I think it's because they've become like an art school cliche where like all the worst painters in the world love Francis Bacon and make like ripoffs of his work. I think it's just because English painting sucks. Uh, English painting is bad. The, you know, given the like contrast with what else was going on at the time, it wasn't even good. I've yeah. just I've just never seen the appeal in Bacon, and he he put it i can't even really paraphrase it but he put it into words so well and he contrasted bacon with like pollock and rothko and like how much they put on the table and put at stake like kind of similar to our conversation between ken burns and adam curtis like think about like just stylizing everything that you're talking about so right. much and then just like actually putting your money where your mouth is and stripping and just it down doing yeah and he says something like you know when you look at an abstract expressionist painting that's of quality like you can't help but engage with it because you just feel it Whereas the bacon pangs are all about illustration. Yeah. And he qualifies it. He's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with illustration. It's just that, like, it's not as good as the rest of this stuff. You know? And he's like, Francis Bacon has these great passages in his paintings, but he didn't take it far and make the good passages right. into a painting. He just filled it with a bunch of other nonsense around it. Yeah, some smushies and, and some goopies. You know, yeah. yeah, and it's just this smushy, academic, like, very European fussiness that just isn't appealing and doesn't really work. work. And, you know, like... He even points out, like, Bacon was, like, a through-and-through, like, secularist, right? Like, all of his screaming Pope paintings. And there's all this, like, death-of-God imagery in it. But he's like, you know, it's basically like a goth. Like, you're just saying that. You didn't try to embody the project of creating, like, a secular religiosity. You're just, like, complaining about the 19th century. And nobody cares. No one cares. And, like, he also, like, you know, he loved Velasquez. Yeah. So he's like, "What are you doing with my guy? Put that shit down. I don't, I don't need this from you, okay? Like, you don't get to do that." Um, which I think is always funny. Like, I like the note that it was like, you know, Peter could never. He was harder on himself than he could ever be on an artist, and I'm, I just like it started thinking, like you know how everyone was like, "I hate this old bastard. He just doesn't get it." And then, and then, and then, and then, and I'm like, mm. 
I don't know about that. I think he got it all the time, but like, you know, you didn't want to hear that like something you made was bad or like, you know, cause like, do you remember that white painting with the X on it? I don't know. From grad school. Big one. That you made? Yeah. 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 Erica told me like they were like talking or something. I don't know why they were talking in there. She's like, what do you think of that? I love that painting. He's like, oh yeah, it's great. It's fussy though. Cause it's purple. It's not black. I'm like, oh, he's the fastest seer in the world. And what does he hate more than anything else is fussiness. You know? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, there was something in his obit along the lines of like, he was a, uh, esthete that was really involved in like painterly and sensual art in, in era when that's not very popular. Right. And he basically stuck to his guns on that, but he did it with a lot of enthusiasm. He wasn't relentlessly negative. Like, the guy even says he didn't turn into a curmudgeon like Hilton Kramer. Right. He didn't just go off and, like, get involved in, like, novelty and esoterica, kind of like John Yao does, where it's like, I'm hmm. I'm reviewing things on 23rd Street because everything else is so bad. It's like, all okay. right, well, that's not, that's not good either. Well, that's not true. So he didn't do that. He He was still enthusiastic about contemporary art and went into everything with an open heart and an open mind, but just found, like, the things that uh, matched his sensibility. And when they didn't, he wrote, like, cogent criticism of things. Right. Um. I always loved But I think it, it was yeah. really really uh touching to me the idea that he just had this kind of out of touch aesthetic but I don't think it was so out of touch. I think there's a lot of us that like relate to that yeah. conundrum which is we don't have much of a voice either. So like his his passing is kind of a tragedy, you know. Yeah. There's a, a tiny sliver of young art critics that are okay and young artists that are okay, but it's like do we have any power against the behemoth machine of like Jerry? Yeah, or you know whatever art is now yeah <laughs> i mean not much no and i mean i always love the the you know the internecine war between him and tom niskowski because tom was like the er like everything's personal and these are my babies that i cradle in my arms and peter's like you're a bullshitter i don't want to hear it <laughs> right you know yeah. like and is the only person who could like tell a towering man you know P- peter was a little dude right yeah and then tom's huge He's the only one who's like, no, fuck you. I don't care. Like, paintings are bad. Paintings are bad, dude. Right. Um, which, you know, no one can really do that anymore. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I can't even think of, like, an older art writer at this point, maybe T.J. Clark. Oh, right. That, you know, that I would... He doesn't touch the ground with the plebes, though, you know? Yeah, not really. I mean, yeah, he's in the ivory tower. Like, th- there's just... Yeah, there's nobody there's nobody left on the ground of the old guard that, you know, can keep a kind of spirit alive. Like it does just seem like the kind of art that like I appreciate. You know, it's just dying. It's like when you know Jasper's going to go, TJ Clark is old. Like It's not as old as Yeah, but it does. I mean, who knows? There was no there was no generation Xers that kept this alive. There's very That's few right, millennials yeah. that give a shit. The Zoomers especially don't care. Don't care. Yeah. It's just you know whatever whatever art in the 20th century was like that that sort of modern and postmodern glow that was like this glorious post World War II project is just yeah every candle's getting extinguished one at a time. Yeah. You know? No one. Yeah, and there's no one to be like, hey kids, remember like maybe don't like don't look at it on the internet you have to go see the thing yeah yeah you know scoochies Mm -hmm. walk along now you know it's a bummer yeah yeah but hey he was cool going out with dignity and grace you love to see it yeah hero's death we just you know he set himself alight via cigarette and we pushed him out to sea i mean he is the the van gogh painting yeah that's true (laughs) skeleton smoking um yeah nice all right all right all right p peter rip peter